I'm one. You're one. You're number two. I'm number two. You may think that you're smarter, but I'm smarter than you. I'm number one. You're number two. You're lucky to be number two, not number three. This is the Bonhorn Play Podcast, the diehard Duke basketball fans podcast. It was a massive week, not only for Duke basketball, but the NCAA basketball world. UK lost to Evansville. Evansville? I don't even know who they are. (laughs) Evansville. Uh, As the number one team in the country, that didn't last very long. So we're going to talk about that in our NCAA roundtable discussion. We're going to start things off on this podcast with our performance against Colorado State. Then last night's performance against Central Arkansas will do a new and improved rendition of our overreaction segment. And then we'll finish things off with our Georgia State preview on Friday. So, AC, let's start things off. You know, coming off the, the Kansas win at the Champions Classic last Tuesday, were you concerned at all about how the team would look against Colorado State in their first game at home? No, nah, man, not at all. I was not definitely not worried about this team having that big game hangover that people talk about. Look, I, I thought they would be solid against Colorado State. They were. I thought they'd blow Colorado State out of the water. They did. And the couple of things I wanted to take a look at with this game, I wanted to see if we could be more efficient on offense against an opponent that we were supposed to beat. I wanted to see if we could rebound against an opponent that we were supposed to beat. And I, I just wanted to see what this defense would do. I mean, we forced 28 turnovers against Kansas. You know, I wanted to see if we could kind of keep up that same pace. Maybe not 28, but could we turn Colorado State over? And I felt that we did that. There were a lot of good performances individually. I thought Trey looked good. I thought his mid-range looked good. You know, I, thought, I thought Matt still looked the part. Vernon did a good job against a team that I thought would play small ball, which they did. And he still was able to get solid minutes in this game and still produce. So, yeah, man, it was it was one of those thing, games where I wanted to see if they could handle some of those fundamental type parts of the game because we see that the talent is there and, and it looked like they did. Yeah, I think it's, it's certainly worth noting that it's not like we were extremely efficient in the game against Kansas. So there were a lot of things that we needed to come in and, and work on. And I'm glad that uh, this team did that. They showed a lot of fight, a lot of grit. One guy that I was extremely impressed with, again, was, was Cassius. You know, that's a guy mm-hmm. that I've come into the season. I've talked a lot about him already. I'm just kind of blown away uh, by what he's brought. And then two straight games, he comes in and gives me more than I expected. And 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 just from from a physical standpoint, we knew he had that. Uh, a la Corey Maggetti, but his game is a lot more polished and his uh, IQ overall is a lot higher than I thought it would be, especially this early on. Uh, we know he's 20 years old, but you see, do you see anything with Cassius that wants you to believe that this is not going to continue the rest of the season? No, I, I think it can only get better. <laughs> Quite honestly, like coming into the season, there were a lot of question marks regarding him. You know, he was a late signee. Not many teams were throwing offers his way for whatever reason. I mean, you had some squads, but 
it, it wasn't like he had uh, an offer list, an offer sheet with 40 different schools on it. You know what I mean? It was he, he had a, a, a small sized offer sheet and he was a late signee for somebody who you would think would be uh, you know a top signee for for the early period. But the, the shooting, I, I don't know that there's many more concerns there about his shooting. He's not a jacker like people said he was going to be. He's not out there jacking shots. His ball handling looks much improved from what people saw uh, before he even came into Duke. People, a lot of a lot of the thoughts were that he was going to dribble in the traffic and the double teams, things like that. He's not doing that. He's so savvy. You mentioned that he's he's wise beyond his years. And despite being, you know, he's twenty, but he's still there's a a definite curve coming into Division One basketball that he seems to have conquered right away, man. So if his curve has already, if he's already hit that point of his curve where he's he's this polished this early then his shot can only get better his driving ability can only get better throughout the season and the opportunity going to get better for him since the rest of the team is going to improve themselves so i'm i, I the sky's the limit for cash just at the end of this year yeah I, I, at this point i kind of fully expect we only have him for the year but if he's going to be this type of guy for us that's the type of player you need to be a number one type team and and really contend in March, and we have that I think in Cassius. Yeah, and so the the negative of of course is that uh, in, in through two games, our free throw shooting and three point shooting has been abysmal to to say the least. Uh, you know, you can't shoot eighteen percent uh, at home from three and expect to win many games. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this game was never in jeopardy. Uh, and then again, at the free throw line, when you're shooting sixty one percent, that just can't happen when you get into ACC play. Mm-hmm. On the flip side of that, though, uh, the one thing that's been constant, as you t- alluded to earlier, is our defense. Our defense is all over the place. We have the versatility. We're able to switch on pretty much every single position, probably outside of where Vernon is. Uh, but even he's been been active. Um, yep. The defense is, is so good so early. Usually you're waiting for your offense to, to, to figure things out. AC, you know, what can we expect when we start to play, you know, the Michigan States and in the ACC play? Can this defense continue to withstand this? Yeah, I think so. I, I We forced 17 turnovers against Colorado State, forced them to shoot, what was it, 38% from two, and they shot 23% from three. That's promising to me. I like the fact that this team is defending the three so well, but they're still able to get turnovers. A lot of times with teams, you, you, there's a give and take. You give something up in order to take that away. So a lot of times if you're a good three-point defending team, you don't get many turnovers or teams are pretty efficient on the inside from you. So far, competition notwithstanding, this Duke team has has defended all over the court and, and very well. Yes, we're going to face some other teams that match up a little better than us. We're not going to be able to double off as often as we do on certain players. We're doubling off on the perimeter quite a bit. We're doubling off and help on the inside quite a bit. So that we've been afforded that luxury. We're not going to get that luxury against teams like Louisville and some others who have a lot of scoring options. But for the most part, we're, we're going to be able to defend. We're going to be able to turn people over. And then the rebounding, we're still going to be able to rebound really well because we're able to keep Matt Hurt in the game and Vernon Carey or Jack White and Vernon Carey or Jack White and Matt Hurt or a combination of those guys or Javin and Matt or Javin and, and Vernon. So we, we can still keep rebounders on the floor and our guards are rebounding like animals, Wendell and Cassius yeah. especially. That that's a recipe, man, for for success. And that's a recipe for sustenance as well. We're gonna be able to sustain that. It's not like there's some gimmick that we have 
that teams are going to be able to just start scheming around. We don't play like a one, three, one zone or a trap or something like that. We're not doing things like that. The teams can eventually scheme over. We're not having to compensate. We're, we're dictating what the offense does. And that's, that's been great to see. And that's, that is definitely something you can sustain and, and high level games. That's going to be something, even if you don't do it for the entire game, that's going to be something you can do for, you know, a four minute stretch a, a key four minute stretch in a big game where you can get yourself a lead or get yourself back into a game where you might be down. So it's, it's I, I really do have a lot of faith in this team keeping this defensive effort up. Yeah, I do too. And a lot of that has to deal with to, to Trey Jones. He obviously sets mm-hmm. the tone. He had 15 points, eight dimes in this one. Uh, let's mm-hmm. move over to to Central Arkansas. Next play. You know, we were pretty spot on with both of our predictions for the Colorado State game and the Central Arkansas game. This team was an absolute blowout, 105-54. Uh, you know, we'll talk about Trey's, uh, you know, head injury in a little bit, but again, you know, the defense set the tone, uh, coach K switched up the lineup again. I personally really liked inserting Jack White, uh, in next to carry coach K even talked about it after the game about how he liked uh, having Jack's voice there next to Vernon. It would really help mm-hmm. him out. Vernon, you know, responded with a great game and it started right out of the gate. They threw it into him run right away. Uh, and and he just spied over over a overwhelmed competition. He had a big right. game. Vernon was was all over the place. But really, I think the story in this one was just a balance. Duke had six players in double figures. Goldwire had nine, so it was nearly seven. <laughs> and that was with Trey uh, only playing you know a handful of minutes because of of the the head injury. So you right. know again, the balance is what I what I took away from this one. Oh, absolutely. And even Trey, Trey had seven points in just the nine minutes that he played. So yeah. offensively, this this was a night and day type of game versus Colorado State. You mentioned how how abysmal we shot against Colorado State, whereas this game we shot 50% from three. So it was a much, much, much better effort from three and the free throw line at that, 12 for 14 from the line. I, yeah. I think as, depending on who's shooting, I, I think those numbers are going to that's what's going to dictate those numbers. If Alex is shooting threes, if if Joey's getting some good looks, if Matt Hurts shooting threes, we're golden. If Wendell Moore is jacking threes, if Trey's jacking threes, uh, and and until proven until proven innocent, if Jack White's jacking threes, then yeah, I think our our three point percentage numbers are going to go down. So that's that's the beauty of this team. That's the versatility of this team is that we at least, unlike last year, we definitely have options from long range this year and. As we expected, we're going to be a much better three-point shooting team than we were last year. Um, you know, despite that that 18% effort against Colorado State, we look great against Central Arkansas overall in offense. You mentioned Jack starting. I I do like that start. It's not there's not much difference on offense when when Jack starts versus Jack uh, Matt Hurt, but there's a huge difference on the defensive end. As you saw, that uh, Central Arkansas only scored six points in the first 10 minutes of the game. That was that was great, and that's Jack White. Like Jack White is is a huge part of that. He's a huge part of the defense on this team, and especially that back line. And that allows that allows us to really put some toughness on teams early on, and allow us to build a lead because the offense again is going to be about the same with Vernon getting his his points down low. Trey was off to a good start on the offensive end, and then you got Alex and Cassius out there. That's that's a great offensive lineup, I think, on this team. And then it only gets better when Matt Hurt gets in the game for Vernon or Jack. So Kay literally has a chessboard with just pieces all over it. And he can just plug and play and do a lot of different things with this team. And I, I love it. It's it's a stark difference from last year 
where you had two guys running the show this year. It's it's all over the place. So hard for teams to scheme against. So difficult for teams to to try to game plan against as to who is going to do what and and who do you put your best defender on on this team because there's just there's so many guys on the perimeter and the interior who can just do some work. Yeah, if if you're watching or excuse me, if you're listening to the podcast uh, and you had to take a shot every single time we brought up versatility, uh, you would be <laughs> hammered after every single one of our podcasts. But, but really, <laughs> it comes down to versatility. <laughs> we have the ability to, you know, insert so many different lineups and matchup issues. We can, you know, I, I love the idea of bringing Matt Hurt as a scoring option off the bench. I don't even know mm-hmm. if it was a message to be sent or if it was just, hey, you know, we're going to try a bunch of different things out here and see what works well. Because Matt Hurt came in and just went gangbusters, knocking shots out down from deep, grabbing defensive boards. He looked more aggressive. I don't know, maybe it was an opportunity for him to kind of see the game, uh, to start the game from the bench, to see the different from a different lens. I'm not sure if that, that was the case or not, but I love bringing that scoring punch and bringing Rundell and at the same time, it's just there's so many different ways that Tay can, you know, work with this this group. It's going to be a lot of fun, but the versatility is what you keep coming back to. I do want to um, switch gears to Alex O'Connell. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Alex hasn't really shot the ball the way we know he can, but I've been extremely impressed with his overall game. We talked about the fact that his body has completely changed. We talked mm-hmm. about the fact that we love his driving ability now, his willingness to attack the rim. We already knew that he was a great athlete. You know, Coach K said after the game, you know, a reporter asked a great question. Um, you know, we saw you take Alex out earlier in the first half and, and have some words with him. What's the message there? And Coach K said, essentially, you know, Alex is really down on himself when he makes a mistake or if he misses a shot. And this game is too fast for you to to be worried about that. And he kept, you know, emphasizing, you got to worry about the next play. You can't worry about the play behind you. And in the second half, I remember Alex had a uh, a missed jumper. He's running down the, the, the right side of the court. Awareness kicks in, jumps the passing lane, gets the ball, two dribbles, and stuffs it home. That's the play that Coach K basically alluded to in the first half when he brought him out. It's, you know, you, you got to put that behind you. If you miss a f- shot, you miss a shot. If you have a turnover, you have a turnover. You got you to switch gears and, 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 and think about what's, what's happening now. And Alex was able to do that. He was able to get in the passing lane, get the steal, and flush it home. If that's the new Alex that we're getting, I love him starting with Trey and Cassius the rest of the year. Oh yeah, that definitely, man. That's there's been a much more prominent willingness for him to take the ball in the hole, which we have not seen out of him ever. And really, like what you said about what Coach K said about him in that press conference, that's just that's empowerment, man. He's he's finally being empowered to do what he can do on the basketball court, which is for a player like him, that's huge. For two years now, he's he's seen freshmen and other guys come in with longer leashes than him and much more freedom than him. And now he's one of those guys who gets that communication with coach K. I mean, that, that's gotta feel good, man. Like you, it, for, for somebody like him who has the skill set he has and everything else, all the work he's put in, all the practice time he's put in and to finally see it translate, that's gotta feel good. And then to have your coach have your back like that on, on the national stage is it's gotta feel even better. So 
I mean, it can only mean good things for Duke down the road uh, for this year and next to have a shooter and a scorer like him and, and, a, and a veteran presence. And for his own personal growth, I mean, it only puts him that you know step further into being one of the more talked about players in the nation and one of the better players at Duke. And, you know, for the next couple of years, he's got two more left or this one in the next year left. So uh, it's, it's only good things for everyone all around. So I love seeing his progression. I love seeing it for this team because they need it. And, you know, he, he makes it obviously makes a great combo with cash just in that starting lineup and it works well for everyone. Well, speaking of improving, uh, that's what we're trying to do here at the Five Point Play Podcast. And and just like Alex, the, the Five Point Play Podcast is always trying to improve. And we got some great feedback on our overreaction segment. So we're going to try to make this a weekly thing where we, you know, kind of throw up a, a couple of different ideas and statements that we've been hearing around the basketball world, you know, specifically for Duke for the most part. As it relates to Duke, is it an overreaction or we're going to allow it? AC, throw the first one up for us. All right, man. I got a good one for you. All right. That's a good one to start out with. I love this segment. I, l- I loved it last week. I'm going to love it again this week. Here we go. All right. In the news this week with Duke, in a press conference, Coach K mentions DJ Stewart by name. An unsigned recruit committed, yes, but not signed, not, not enrolled in the school. You can't do that. Big news, right? The world is going nuts supposedly big news is this an overreaction or will you allow it coach k mentioning dj stewart violation major (laughs) this is an overreaction that was an overreaction for those of you that don't know what really happened there was a reporter after the colorado state game that asked coach k he was from chicago uh, about recruiting in the uh, the chicago area he basically said you know is that your favorite place to recruit and coach k uh, diplomatically said he wants to recruit everywhere, but then took that opportunity to also, you know, kind of talk about, you know, what was going on with the the teacher strike in Chicago and how he is, is happy that that's ending so that uh, DJ Stewart, who is committed to Duke, but hasn't signed yet because the official signing period, which is actually this week, uh, when he did sign his name, hadn't happened yet. So that is technically a level three violation according to the NCAA bylaws which receives a massive penalty of a written note to the <laughs> offending party saying, please don't let that happen again. This is an FYI, is a recruiting violation. Good talk, great chat. And uh, yeah, so I would say that that is an overreaction. <laughs> so while well, I'll switch it up to you, I did read a lot after uh, the first few games that uh, Wendell Moore, AC, mm-hmm. is a selfish offensive player. Is that an overreaction <laughs> after the first three games, or are you going to allow it? I am not going to allow that. That is definitely an overreaction. That was an overreaction. Yes, Wendell Moore has taken a lot of shots. Yes, Wendell Moore has pushed the ball to the basket quite a bit. That's what we need him to do, all right? And we need him to do it now and learn how to do it now in November so that come February and March, he is adept at it, and he's, he is that is a part of who he is in the, the game that he has, and that's a weapon that this team has. So let's be patient. Let's let the, the just recently turned 18-year-old kid learn his body at a Division I college level and, and really find himself within this offense and within the flow of the game. Yeah, there's going to be mistakes along the way. We saw it last year with RJ. You saw how he blossomed, all right? It's the same situation here. I'm not comparing them as players but i am comparing that part of their game all right it takes a little bit that's one thing wendell had coming in 
to the college game, that was one of his pluses, was his ability to attack with angles and his ability to attack through traffic and find space in traffic, all right? So that's a huge part of his game. That's something that he was going to have to lean on because that was one of his strengths coming out. So he's just learning it within the framework of facing college defenses and things like that. I promise you, when we play UVA in that pack line defense, we're going to want this battering ram. All right, Kay called him a battering ram. Dan Bonner alluded to it last night. We're going to want that against that team because, as we know, the blueprint to being that pack line is to continue to attack it, attack it, attack it. We've seen it now for two years straight. So that's what's going to have to happen again with this team. And he is one of the one of probably two players other than Cash Stanley and him who can do that on the squad. So we need that out of him. So let's let him learn how to do it right now and calm down about how he does it against teams like Central Arkansas and Georgia State and Colorado State and Fort Valley State. All right. Let him learn it now and become better with it later on. OK, patience. Be patient. Kay clearly wants him to do it. So let's let it happen. Overreaction. I want to kick it over to you, TK, because now there's there's something that has happened in, in the force out here. Presumably, we take care of business against Georgia State. Duke is the number one team in the nation. Last week, we moved into number two. Duke is the number one team in the nation. Is this an overreaction or will you allow it? <clears throat> I'm going to shock everybody here. I will allow it. I'll allow it. And here's why. Listen, listen, man. Listen, man. If not, if not us, who? You know what? Nobody has a better resume than we do. We went up to the Champions Classic. We were the underdog. We knocked off Kansas. We forced them to 28 turnovers. We had two games at home where we blew the doors off the competition. We're going to do it again against Georgia State. Spoiler alert. We have so much versatility shot. We have so much balance on this team. We don't rely on just one or two guys to get our buckets for us. We have buckets from our starting five. We have buckets from the guys coming off the bench. Hell, we don't even know who our starting five is yet. That's how versatile we are. Shot. Look, our team can shoot from outside. We can score on the inside. And even if all of those things aren't working, the thing we have is that we can stop anybody. We can stop the perimeter. We can stop inside. We have uh, guys that can get into lanes. We can force turnovers. We can score in transition. That was one of the things that we did so well last year is scoring in transition. And why we stopped doing that last year is beyond me. But that's that's not going to be a case with this year's team because we have so much depth. Well, you know, Florida lost in a horrible fashion to Florida State. Uh, obviously, we'll talk about Kentucky losing to Evansville. Evansville, I don't know who, the, who they are. Uh, Michigan State lost to, to Kentucky. You know, there there is no team more deserving at this particular time than Duke, so I'm going to allow it, AC. Moving on. <laughs> uh, so our next one is, uh, this, this is a big one for, for Duke fans. You know, it's one that uh, is interesting, you know, after your, your Wendell Moore diatribe, because what do you do with Joey Baker? What do you do with his playing time? Is it a situation where... Joey Baker needs playing time. Is that an overreaction, or are you going to allow it? This, so this one's a little dicey. So I think the word needs needs to be adjusted, and then I think I will allow this one. I'll allow it. Joey Baker should get some playing time in the matchups that make sense. We mentioned this before. When, when the matchup makes sense, when we can put a couple of the defenders on the floor and, and guys are showing they can play defense, and when the team is not overmatched, wise or physically 
then yeah, I think I do think Joey Baker should get some time on the floor just to to space the floor out for for a guy, a guy like Wendell Moore or even for Cassius and Trey. Like he's a good floor spacer. He's a good option as a floor spacer. And if someone else isn't hitting, then give him a shot to shoot. Like Alex O'Connell. If Alex isn't hitting, then yeah, why not why not give Joey a chance to shoot if if he's not a turnover machine? And so far he hasn't been. He's even put the ball on the deck a couple times and hasn't looked horrible doing it. Com- you know competition notwithstanding so let's now the next step in his game is let's see it against a little bit of a better team maybe maybe the cal game is a game you see it maybe his turns coming later on in acc play as as a floor spacer or a zone breaker against syracuse or a floor spacer against louisville when they like to tighten it in maybe uva when they like to play the pack line he, he's going to get his chances in in big games later on so sure why not right now this time of year beating teams up Let's put him on the floor and see how he's done. Yeah, so far this season, well, one for four from three and the, the chances that he's gotten, hit a couple mid-range jumpers, grabbed a couple of rebounds. He hasn't done anything remarkable or spectacular to say, yeah, this guy needs time to play. So I'll allow it, but I want to keep watching. I don't know that he's a replacement for anyone in the lineup yet, but I definitely will allow, yeah, let's get Joey some time on the floor to, to prove himself as a floor spacer. I'll allow it. All right. So now we move forward, TK. We had a little bit of an issue last night in Central Arkansas's game. Trey got hit and he bumped heads, went, went helmet to helmet, if you will, uh, with one of Central Arkansas's players, went out for the rest of the game, only played nine minutes, looked pretty shaken afterwards and still didn't look like himself as he sat on the bench throughout the second half. They got plenty of camera shots for him. Trace concussion. This is a big deal, right? Uh, that is a overreaction. Uh, it's not a big deal. <laughs> that was an overreaction. Unlike you, I would not have brought him back yesterday. It made no <laughs> sense. I think it looked worse than it than it was. Uh, Coach K talked about it after the game. You know, it looked like he was mashed potatoes there for a while, but he's okay. Uh, look, mm-hmm. Trey. Trey has to be on the, on, on the floor. Uh, if there was any semblance of uh, lingering issues, head injury, of course, there's nothing to play with. So uh, if there was anything there, I think he would have he said it. I would be stunned if uh, he's not in the starting lineup against Georgia State on Friday. So I'm going to say that's an overreaction. Nothing to be concerned about. Uh, and the last one here is and we had a, kind of a little interesting uh, we had a recruit's mom, a guy that we didn't even offer, Terrence Clark, really good player, uh, who's committed to Kentucky. Uh, his mom came out uh, and said that Duke is uh, not the place for her son uh, because they're a bunch of Carlton Banks. <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know what to say about this. AC, uh, did she overreact, or are you going to allow that Duke is nothing but a bunch of Carlton Banks? <laughs> I'm going to say this is a this not only is this an overreaction that was an overreaction but this is this is a PR move to to give her son some publicity as he goes into into next season as as a Kentucky Wildcat definite overreaction by her and I'm also going to double down on the overreaction by people overreacting about what she said a little bit overreaction it's funny it's fun to play with and fun to make fun of yeah, there's plenty of there's a lot of gifs and memes happening on Twitter, which have been you know it's been hilarious to see and it's been it's been spectacular to watch. It's great. It's a lot of love gifs, so gifs, I love memes, hilarious stuff. 
But to get pissed off about this and to get mad at a player's mom for saying something like that, man, let it go. This is something, this is no new news. This is something that people have said about Duke for years. Uh, you don't, you don't even have to, you don't even have to address it. This it's silly. It's, it's fun, but it definitely is an overreaction on all accounts. Yeah. Uh, she posted a, a video, uh, I guess of, of the whole thing. And, uh, yeah, I was going to click on that video, and then I just kept living my life. So, um, <laughs> good, good all right, so, so there we go, uh, our overreaction uh, segment. But let's go to our fourth topic of the podcast, and that's our NCAA Roundup. I promise I'm not going to do this again. Kentucky 64, Evansville 67. That's where we kick things off. Hey, look. Look, don't, don't, don't come out here and talk about uh, Jeff Rosillo, how Kentucky is number one in your power rankings on ESPN and how they're going to be there for a long while. And then not even 12 hours later, have the Kentucky Wildcats lose at home to Evansville, who is coached <laughs> by Walter McCarty. And as they say up in Boston Celtics lands, I love Walter AC. <laughs> Evansville. Yeah, man. Tell me about Evansville. Yes. Oh, dude, it's great, man. First and foremost, Jeff Borzello, if you want a good follow on Twitter, go ahead and follow Jeff Borzello and then immediately follow right after that cold takes or takes that don't age well. You want to follow both those things because you're going to get plenty of Jeff Borzello in your life because all that dude does is create takes that age not like a fine wine, the exact opposite. The, the, the guy's a he's a little bit of a, an internet clown and it's kind of turned into that character so you know good good job jeff in, enjoy your paycheck but evansville man they, they have a couple of good guys sam cunliffe and kj riley are guys that there's some of those guys that if you follow college basketball you hear those names a lot they it's not just a team that's anything in the tournament it's not like it's a good team it's just guys that can play the game and can shoot the three and that's what evansville does they space the floor and shoot the three and walter comes back home and beats kentucky that's great man this, I, I love it that's that's a, another team that's getting knocked down a peg and you get to get a chance to watch them get humbled. And this doesn't mean anything for Kentucky moving on in the future about the NCAA tournament because they're going to be a good team. They have the talent. They have the coach with the resume. They're going to be a good squad later on. But it is I love this kind of fodder early on in the season, especially when it happens to somebody like Kentucky. So yeah. love it. Love to watch it. It was great. Yeah, I mean, it, in the grand scheme of things, does it really matter? Of course not. But it gives us an opportunity to uh, take jabs at their uh, ridiculous Absolutely. fan base, uh, their lunatic fan base, uh, and that's really <laughs> that's that's worth it right there. So, congrats to Evansville. That's pretty awesome. Uh, it's a moment that their kids will never forget. Moving on uh, mm-hmm. in the NCAA basketball uh, landscape, I, I do want to touch for for 15 seconds. I want to talk about. What the hell happened with Florida and Florida State last weekend? Yeah, man. Yeah, that was uh that was interesting. The school was score sixty three fifty one in Florida. Florida State goes down and and beats them, and that is that is a typical Leonard Hamilton victory where his guys just go down and just out muscle and just out outplay and outwork a team that is is frankly better than them or they have more talent. So this is a as we said for Evansville and Kentucky, don't even worry about it this is a little bit of a drawing board thing for Florida because maybe there is a little bit of a, a blueprint on how to beat this team to, to out muscle them and out physical them. So now you have to have the type of roster to be able to do that. But that was a huge win for Leonard Hamilton in Florida state. And 
in my opinion, it's a big loss to Florida. It gives other teams a little bit of hope that this team is, are they still good? Of course they are, but are they this juggernaut that can't be beaten? Absolutely not. So great win there. Yeah, and uh, it was an interesting night all around in college basketball on uh, Tuesday night. So obviously we already talked about the Kentucky-Evansville matchup, but, you know, Washington struggles with Mount St. Mary's. They beat them by 10 at mm-hmm. home. Uh, Auburn yep. squeaked by South Alabama by one. Uh, Xavier, mm-hmm. you know, beats Missouri, who's unranked in overtime by five. It was a crazy night, but I do want to focus on uh, the matchup of the night, which was Oregon and Memphis. Uh, we'll touch on uh, James Wiseman's situation right after this. But overall, I came away pretty impressed with, with Oregon. Uh, I thought defensively they were they were great. Uh, but, you know, Memphis, mm-hmm. and, and I don't want to take too much away from Memphis because, you know, they have a lot of young guys. They're trying to figure each other out. Uh, but they didn't look like they had any sort of continuity uh, offensively other than, you know, trying to get the ball to Wiseman. And if he's in foul trouble, you take him out, and then, and then that's it. So uh, Oregon looked really solid. But uh, what did you take away from, from that game? I wanted to kind of watch the game two different ways. I wanted to watch Memphis play with James Wiseman and see what they could do with him. And you really didn't get a chance to see much of him in the first half because he was in foul trouble early on. But I also wanted to see how they did without him because chances are they're going to be without him the rest of the season. And without him against a team like Oregon that's going to scheme against taking Wiseman out of the game, you mentioned that they looked a little dysfunctional, and you kind of wondered about that with Penny. I watched Memphis a little bit last year. They were the same way. They they would win games, but it was so disorganized. And that's almost yeah. how they won games because you play teams that are scheming against some kind of continuity, and there just was none. But I think there's hope for, for Memphis in terms of the players they have. I just don't think this is the season that they are going to be you know, the, the top team that everybody kind of thought and hoped that they would be. Uh, I like the way Lester Quinones plays the game. I've always been a big fan of him. Uh, he was pretty inefficient last night, but I, I do like the way he plays. I think Boogie Ellis is going to have some some woes moving on through the season, and they have to find someone else in the interior to provide a little bit of, of help outside of Wiseman in case he's gone. I like the way Oregon played. I, I liked how they, they, have a, they have one of those classic college veteran teams that everyone has a role, everyone plays that role, and they just make big shots and make big plays down the stretch and during important parts of games. Peyton Pritchard, is a, he's a good floor general. I won't go as far as last night, the, the test of calling him one of the best point guards in the nation and, and a great, great, great player. But he, he definitely runs that team well. He runs Dana Altman's offense well. And, and Oregon is going to be of elite eight teams uh, as they go into the tournament, as long as they stay healthy, they have all the all, all the pieces all over the floor to to offer that. So they're they're going to be a good move, team moving forward. Yeah, Boogie Ellis, uh, a name that uh, Duke fans uh, certainly remember. He decommitted from us. He uh, he was two of eleven uh, last night. And uh, look, mm-hmm. uh, he's a freshman. He'll he'll have his ups and downs. But let's let's kind of round this one up uh, with James. Wiseman, you, you kind of alluded to the fact that don't think they help play or be eligible um, for the rest right. of the season once the NCAA figures it out. Where do you stand on the whole thing to begin with? And, and to, to add a little color for anybody that might not know, uh, so Penny Hardaway helped uh, he, uh, Wiseman and his mom move from Nashville to Memphis. Uh, apparently, mm-hmm. you know, gave them $11,500 to help them move. 
yeah, you know, at the time he was uh, considered a booster uh, to, to Memphis. Right. You know, AC, what do you take from the situation itself and what do you see happening? I mean, in in the rule book, yeah, it's it's absolutely it's absolutely a, a rules violation. I don't think there's any way around it. I don't even think there's a way to argue, you know, in, in the future, you know, should this rule be changed? I mean, I don't even know that we should go there. The other, the only other thing to discuss about this is how on earth was this missed to start the season? Like before yeah. the season started, when he, when he signed with Memphis, how was he not ruled ineligible already? Like how did it, like what, I that's the question I have. And you know, was was there some news that and the NCAA wasn't privy to? Was this not reported the first time when it happened? Like, how how does this not how does this go from being yes, he's absolutely eligible and one of the faces of college basketball to ah, he's he's ineligible, he can't play now all of a sudden. So I, I think that's more of the news more so than free James Wiseman, you know, the hashtag free James Wiseman and all that. No, he's not getting out of this one, but the NCAA rules committee and 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 their uh, the the board that this determines whether guys are eligible or not, they really need to look at how the compliance division needs to look at how how they go about determining a guy's eligibility and when they determine someone's eligibility because this type of thing happens quite a bit. You know, he's a huge name, but this type of thing happens quite a bit uh, in, in NCAA basketball where a guy is playing games and then all of a sudden in December and November they're magically ineligible. So. kind of a big deal here. So who knows what happens to Memphis moving forward. I think this is just going to be one of those things that's kept at this level. This player is ineligible and maybe they lose one scholarship, but I think that's as far as it'll go. Yeah, no, I I agree with you. Um, I, I, something keeps telling me that with the amount of times the NCAA has shot themselves in the foot, uh, (laughs) especially recently. And with this whole pay for play thing hanging over their heads, I, I can't see a scenario where they continue to, to shoot themselves. I think it'll be very similar to Chase Young uh, over at Ohio State mm-hmm. uh, for football, where they'll suspend them for a handful of games and then everybody moves on. I don't even think that they'll uh, make them vacate the you know, couple of games that he plays early before the ruling comes down, and I think Memphis right. will accept it. Um, in years past, yeah, they would have made him ineligible for the entire the entire season, but Right now, the the NCAA is completely exposed, and they are so vulnerable that this is a perfect time for Memphis to take advantage of them and to, to quote a lot of the guys like Jay Billis and Jay Williams um, to to just basically give them the double the double bird and say go ahead and try. Um, that that to me is what's going on. So so to kind of wrap this podcast up, we got Georgia State on Friday. 7 p.m. again on the ACC network. Um, mm-hmm. Georgia State AC is coming off a loss to College of Charleston. So do you think that they come in ready to go because of that loss to College of Charleston and take us out of that number one spot, much <laughs> like Evansville did to uh, Kentucky? Nah, man, this is not a this is not a purple aces scenario. This. This team is going to lose. I mean, Georgia State's going to lose the game. They're going to come. They come in with a team that they have a pretty balanced squad all over the floor. They're not small ball. They're not super big. They just have a balanced squad, and, and Duke's going to take care of business. I mean, this this is pretty straightforward. Not not much to talk about here. I think Duke's going to win this one somewhere in the range of eighty-seven to sixty. 
82 to 60. Wow. Um, 82 to 60. No, I'm going to go a little higher. Uh, I like the versatility shot that we have uh, <laughs> on our team. Um, I don't I don't see them scoring 60, so I'm going to go a little bit higher. I'm going to go 93 to 57. I like it, man. Yeah. All right. So there we have it. And, you know, the last thing we'll say is uh, assuming that everything, all business things taken care of on Friday night, by the time we come back and revisit all of our fans, we will be the new number one team in the country. Go Duke. Go Duke. Thank you for tuning in to the Five Point Play Podcast, the number one Duke fans podcast. Check us out at Instagram at Five Point Play Podcast. That's the number Five Point Play Podcast. And on Twitter, Five Point Play Podcast. Go Duke.